Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And tonight, and we're just, um, we just sort of finished up here with um, all the begats. And um, then we went through... Um, we're at chapter 11. We just finished talking about the splitting of the nations with the languages. And now we're down to verse 10. And again, they are reiterating here um, the line of Shem. And this is because over here, over in chapter 10, it's his whole line, all of his kids. You know, everybody. And um, um, Shem had five kids. But only our fat sod, our fat sod is the one that we're going to follow because that's the line of Jesus. Okay? Um, everybody else kind of splintered off and mingled with Japheth's kids and mingled with Ham's kids and just got lost in the wash. But our, our fat sod's line is the line that we're going to follow. And... Um, um, so our Faxod's line is the one that we pick up with here and we're going to go all the way to Abram now um, with this line. So this is just a skim. We're just going to start with verse 10 and read on because we've really already done this. But just to, just to follow Jesus' line here. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat our Faxod two years after the flood. Excuse me, this is chapter 10. Chapter 11, I'm sorry. Chapter, chapter 10 was the be oh. all the begats and then, I'm sorry, chapter 11 after the world divided. Now we're going to take this, just the line of our facts okay. on and run up to Abraham. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. Oh, and while I'm thinking of it, I know I was saying backwards last time. Oh, well, when we get there, I'll say, but you were right, Lee. You were a thousand times right. What? So I just wanted to say, before we get going. Um, I kept saying um, about Sarah. I was in my mind I was saying it right. And my mouth was saying it wrong. But Tara is Sarah's father too. and um, But they had different mothers. Mm. And you had it right. And I don't know what was wrong with my brain. Oh, right. It's like it was pretzeled. Okay. Because I got home and I started reading. I thought, did I, was I saying this? But yeah, I was. So just, you are right. <laughs> oh my God, what's wrong with me? Okay, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat our side two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begot our side 500 years and begat sons and daughters. So, so Shem had lots of kids, but only one is who we're going to follow that followed the one, you know, the one true God. Okay. And our Faxod lived 35 years and begat Salah. And our Faxod lived after he begat Salah 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived 30 years and begat Abair. Now, Abair here is Haber, H-E-B-E-R, which is the word for Hebrew. So all of Haber's kids were Hebrews. Okay? Yes. The, they became the Hebrews. 
Um, now, not all the Hebrews are Jewish. This gets to be really sticky too. Um, all Jews are Hebrews, but not all Hebrews are Jews. Because the Jewish people came from Judah, the son of Jacob. That's the Jewish people. But everybody all the way to Jacob were Hebrews. Because they were, you know, yeah, ancestors of Hebrews. Okay. And it's still a confusion. You know, it's still a confusion. But just so you know, Abair is, Haber is the way they pronounce it in the Hebrew. And it's, that's where the Hebrew line started. Heber or Abair's descendants were the Hebrew people. And Salah lived after he begat Abair 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived 430 years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. And Peleg lived after he begat Ru 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Ru lived two and 30 years and begat Sarag. And Ru lived after he begat Sarag 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sarag lived 30 years and begat Nahor. Now we're getting into Abraham's neighborhood. Okay. And Sarag lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. Now there are two Nahors here. Don't, don't get confused here in a minute. And Nahor lived 9 and 20 years and begat Terah. That's Abraham's dad. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Okay? So this is like Nahor the second. Alright. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. So at the point that Haran dies, um, Lot sort of gets taken in by Abraham, you know, like a, a son, okay? His nephew, but he takes him in like a son. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. The Milcah, um, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Okay, whatever that connection is, I'm not going there. But Sarah, he was barren. She had no child. Now, verse 31 and 32, this gets to be interesting and fuzzy. Um, 31, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. In my understanding, it had always been that Abraham was in the land of Ur and God called him out of Ur, out of Ur of the Chaldees, to go into the promised land. But when you look here, it says Terah took Abram and his sons out of Ur mm -hmm. and they went to Haran. 
And there are a couple of different explanations, but this, get, this is kind of cool, actually. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay. So while Terah was still alive, he took Abraham and, um, and just Lot, um, Haran's son, and they all moved up um, out of Ur into Haran. See, that's so confusing. Haran the person, Haran the town. But you get it. But then you look at verse 1 in chapter 12 and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. So then the question was, it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? How did that happen? And there are a lot of theories on what happened there. That Terah actually got the call from the Lord. And Terah moved everybody to Haran. And that Nahor followed later. Mm-hmm. And was in Haran when God called Abraham and said, Abraham, get away from your family and your kin. Well, if Nahor hadn't moved there, he wouldn't have any kin to get away from. So now that's one explanation of what happened. That um, Terah was called and then Abraham was called. The other is that um, God called Abraham twice and directed him out. That Abraham got the call twice and directed him out. And that in the, the Hebrew, because Terah is the patriarch of the family, Terah is listed as the one who led them out. Because he's the patriarch of the family, not Abraham. Terah's the older. So... There is that explanation. Um, so the Targum people and John Gill, some of the contemporary writers, think that um, Terah was called, and, and no, that Abraham was called twice. Mm-hmm. That God came to Abraham twice and spoke to him. So um, this is cool, though. When you look at Acts 7, go to Acts chapter 7. This is... Stephen talking. Now Stephen was a little Jewish boy who grew up knowing all these scriptures, knowing all the traditions and the stories and everything else. And Stephen is recounting this same story. Okay, and um, start with verse 2. And he said, Men, brethren, fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So this confirms what the Jew, the Targum author said, that Abraham was literally called, but they said twice. Stephen says once, but that he just stopped and, and when his father died he moved on. But it's still it's closer to what the Targum writers thought than a lot of the contemporary Christian authors think. So God spoke to him before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and come into the land which I'll show you, which all of his family was there in Ur. 
So he would have left all of his kindred there, which makes perfect sense to me. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him unto this land wherein you now dwell. Um, and this is kind of an important note. It won't mean so much right now, but it will later. He gave him none inheritance in it. No, not as much as to set his foot on. And yet, he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, as yet he had no child. Abraham, and all the time he sojourned in that land, he didn't own one speck of it. None of it was his. That was Harris. It belonged to somebody else. Except the, the cave that he Well, had. and that's exactly it. That one tiny piece of ground that he purchased to bury Sarah in, mm-hmm. which has become one of the holiest sites in all of, of, the, of in the whole land for Arabs and, and um, um, Israelis alike, because it has the bones of all the patriarchs in it. Mm-hmm. Jacob and Joseph are there. and um, so. But that's the only piece of ground that he ever owned. And that piece of ground literally became the anchor um, for all the future generations. It was like the one piece of ground that held everything together and made the promise real. That Abraham was living right there, died right there, and um, yeah, it, it's really cool when you think about that, you know. But in all the time that he sojourned there, he, he owned not one piece of that land, you know, which is it's pretty interesting, isn't it, when you think about it? But um, so he called him once. And I guess on his sojourn, you know, while they were traveling, maybe they got to Haran and Terah wasn't doing well. Because Haran was a long way from Ur. I mean, that was uh, 80 or 90 miles, 100 miles maybe, up the Tigris-Euphrates River. I can't remember exactly how far, but pretty far up. And it may have been that Terah just couldn't make it any further. Who knows? Because you don't know how long he stayed in Haran. We don't have any indication of how long he stayed there. But until his father died. Well, then and his Abram's brother stayed there. Well, Nahor didn't go with him up there. Nahor stayed behind in Ur. Unless, and this is the assumption, that Nahor came later. But, um... See, that's the deal. Uh, what happens to Nahor? Did Nahor stay in Ur? Or did Nahor later follow them up to Haran? But if you read, you find out that it's Abraham. Yeah, but when they sent, when Abraham sent his servant up to get Isaac a son, she was the daughter of Haran. Well, she, no, she was the daughter of Laban. Oh, was she? Mm-hmm. Okay. Rebecca? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wrong? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Laban? Yeah. And Nahor. So whether or not they were in Haran or um, in Ur, um, it's very ambiguous because when Abraham sends his servant off, he doesn't say where. He just says, go back to my people. Oh, Haran. Yeah. So, that, and that's the issue that, that I was just talking about. The, the lot of the Christian authors think, well, Nahor must have followed up later. He must have come later. And, and that this call is the second call where God says, now leave your family. And their assumption is, is that God called Abraham twice. 
or called Terah the first time out of there. And then when they got to Haran, Nahor followed. And then when God calls him to leave his kindred, Nahor would be left there. That would make sense. But Stephen says that um, God called Abraham before he got to Haran. So that kind of poo-poos uh, that, you know. So whether Nahor followed to Haran or whether Nahor remained in Ur, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, when you get to the place where he tells him to go back to his family, you don't know where that is. Who was Rachel's father? Rachel's father was Laban. Well, then who was Rebecca's father? Well, either had to be... Well, was it Nahor or Laban? Was it, was it Laban Nahor. too? Nahor, okay. But which, so, and that's Abram's brother. Yeah, but but Nahor did not go with Abraham. I know that. You know, I know so, that, but he was up there. Well, that's what they assume, but they don't know for sure. Th that's the deal. Nobody can tell you for sure where Nahor was, you know, at this time. Because when you go back and you start to study about um, Abraham saying to his servant, go, you know, to where my family is. He says, go to where my family is. He doesn't say go to Ur, and he doesn't say go to Haran. He just says, go to where my family is, where Nahor is. So, um, um, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those questions that Christian authors have. And, and when I've read, you know, they have their, they, they, um, they make assumptions that Terah, was the one that was called out the first time and Abraham went with Terah mm -hmm. and that Nahor followed later. Mm -hmm. And then a then uh, Abram gets called out of uh, Haran and goes into that promised land. But then Stephen blows that out of the water by saying that Abraham was called before he got to Haran to leave his kindred. So he would have left Nahor behind and gone with his dad up to Haran. And that's where the deal is. It's they can't, you know, it's still a mystery. But Stephen says that he left Nahor in Ur. That's what Stephen said. And the, the bottom line is there is no evidence that Nahor went to Haran, you know. And he certainly didn't go with him when he went. And that's the deal. So I said, that used to be so clear cut for me. Just cut and dried, you know. God called him out of Ur and he backed up his family and went. And that made sense to me. And then you go, well, now wait a minute, what about Haran? Yeah, what about Terah and taking his family to Haran? I, I you know, know. I, I used to question that because I, mm -hmm. I read that and I thought, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. But Stephen, who had all the history in the lore, said that Abraham was called before he went to Haran. So. Abraham must have told his dad and his dad packed everybody up and they left. But they left Nahor behind. They didn't take Nahor with them when they went. So whatever happened to Nahor, wherever Nahor was, that's where they went to get their brides. But, um... Oh, wait a minute. Huh. It says, and it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. There you go. So Nahor was her grandfather. Yeah, there you go. Abraham's brother 
There you her go. Picture on her shoulders. Yeah. Okay. I always thought he, her father was male, but I yeah. misread that. Yeah. But um. But Nahor would have been the. I mean, you know, the great the grandfather. So that was close enough. Yeah. It's just to a different oh, son. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it to a different say son. That, mm -mm. You know. Yeah, and it doesn't say. It just says go go to my country, and to my kindred. So you don't know what country that is. Is it Ur? Or is it Heron? We don't have any evidence of Nahor moving, you know, other than they put Nahor, Christian authors make Nahor follow them to Heron so that God can say to Abraham, get out of there and from your kindred. If, if Nahor wasn't there, he had no kindred to leave behind. He was taking everybody with him. So that's why they said probably Nahor went to Heron, but there's no evidence of it. And Stephen doesn't say that. So that's the deal. It just gets a little fuzzy there. And it was so cut and dried for me before. <laughs> Is there a geography issue? Because I can picture where Ur is. Mm -hmm. That's like Kuwait. Yeah. Okay. And, and follow the Tigris and Euphrates. Go straight across mm -hmm. to the west, you would eventually come into either Lebanon or uh, at the Mediterranean, either Lebanon or down into uh, uh, Canaan. Right. Well, Haran is up by Damascus, Syria. Mm -hmm. I understand, but is that straight line going across desert as opposed to following the water up the Tigris Euphrates into Haran. I don't know. And then I don't know how much of that's down, wilderness. And, and then coming down, if you would, the Jordan mm -hmm. into yeah. into the yeah. land of Canaan. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, just based on what Stephen said and, and based on this, God directed him where to go, which ways to go. But it makes perfect sense to follow the river valley because that would mm -hmm. be the safest way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, Heron is way up at the top of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And sort of, you could almost draw a straight line to what is now Damascus, Syria. I mean, it's, it's way up there. And, and um, there he stayed until his dad died. And then, you know, he goes, this next verse, um, you know, takes him into the promised land. But it... Um, that's just kind of a fuzzy thing. And, and where we think we kind of got it nailed down, we really just don't. And there are just some things that you can't, you know, they just we just don't have the proof for. Like what happened to Nahor, where he went. We know he was around for a good long time and his whole family. And they were a pretty worldly bunch. But they made good women, so we'll take it. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so having said all that, yeah. Could you say then that, uh, well, you mentioned Eber, Eber before. Right. Yeah. Eber, but we don't have any idea. Well, Eber, you got Peleg and so forth, mm -hmm. and eventually Terah. So, Eber, from the line Eber on down uh, to Abram. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we don't know where Eber was. Well, I'm assuming they all lived in Ur. 
Okay. I'm assuming most of them lived there. That's, and you know. at that time, according to what it says about God having Abram uh, leave Ur of the Chaldeans, mm -hmm. would Abram's family be Chaldeans? I think, I think what happened is um, a lot of... Um, Shem's family, you know, um, um, Ham's line, yes, moved into the Chaldees. And a lot of Shem's family mixed with them. You know, when Nimrod was around, mm -hmm. which, you know, built that empire. Um, so it's a mixed breed. Mm -hmm. It's a mixed breed. So they're all relatives there living in Ur. I mean, you know, they're all related some way. And they're not so many generations removed that. Um, you know, there's not some familial acknowledgement there. But um, anyway, yeah. So having made that mess for us and muddied the water, let's just move right along <laughs> to the promise that God made to Abram. And he repeats this promise. Um, he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. Mm -hmm. Um, the word blessed there is barakah, which means I will empower you to prosper, which is a really good way of looking at blessing. Abraham, everything he set his hands to prospered. <coughs> was one of the richest men of his time. They say that Job was almost equally as rich, but we don't know where Job lived, where he was from, who his family line is. We have no idea. Only that he lived about the same time Abraham did. And... Um, so then the next part, you will be a blessing and I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you and in all the families of the earth um, um, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The, the Tanakh is so much better. Um, the first part stands, I will bless you, I will empower you to be prospered and I will make your name great. But the next part is really cool because he says, you will be the standard by which blessing is invoked. And that is so much clearer um, than what this says, uh, not you will be a blessing, but you will be the standard by which blessing is invoked. Um, <clears throat> go to Galatians 3. Galatians <clears throat> And you know the standard was faith. I mean, you know, that's, that's how Abraham was blessed. He, he trusted God. And it's like the Hebrews 6, because, I mean, Hebrews 11, and it gives all those people, by faith, that Abraham did this and this and this. And by faith, these people did all this. <clears throat> and um, then it says, it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So Abraham, in what he did, becomes the standard bearer for everybody else to be blessed by God. So look at Ephesians chapter three. I mean, uh, Galatians chapter three. Start with verse five there. He therefore that ministers to you ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? 
Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel message. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a standard by which blessing is uh, invoked. I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, that's the gospel in Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham's standing there as the patriarch of the family, and Jesus is in his loins. Jesus is right there when God speaks that, you know. Okay. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So faith becomes that standard. Abrahamic faith. Not just mental ascent, but Abrahamic faith becomes the standard by which um, a nation's blessing is invoked. Okay. And then you go to the next part. Now you can go back. Now, um, then you go to the next part. I will bless him that bless you and curse him who curses you. And honestly, that is still true today. That part, you can pick up the newspaper and read it. Um, and just look at the United States. When we are a strong ally with Israel, when we stand by her unashamedly and we, um, we back her to the hilt, we prosper. Our economic system flourishes. Everything flourishes in our country. People are better off. But when we begin to get our eyes off of Israel and start looking at Palestine and trying to make these treaties and take half of Jerusalem away from Israel, our nation begins to plunge. And it's happened again and again. We go up and down and up and down. But if you look at when we're looking at Israel and defending Israel, we're blessed. And they can blame it on a lot of things, but that's always it. And, um, um, and yeah, I mean, you can look at where we are right now. You know, we turned our back on Israel the first year Barack Obama was elected. Yes. You know, when, when Netanyahu walked into the White House to visit with him, and, and um, he got up and left Netanyahu alone and went to eat lunch, mm -hmm. um, that was the first sign of it. Um, left Netanyahu sitting alone in, you know, in the Oval Office while he went out to eat lunch. And um, that was the beginning of our downfall. Economically, we've done nothing but shrink and shrivel up and, you know, um, because God blesses supernaturally those that bless Israel. And um, um, that that has always been in place and it always will be. And if you look in the Middle East right now, the nations who at least cohabit with Israel, like Egypt has tried, um, Jordan has tried, although Jordan, when they first moved in there, kicked up a storm, but Jordan has tried. Any of those nations who have tried to at least accept and coexist with Israel have been blessed and have, and have been stable. Every nation that has raised its hand up against Israel is a mess. A total mess. The people suffer tremendously. Mm -hmm. and, and it isn't God cursing, but they move out from under the blessing. Any, anybody, when Abraham um, 
Wherever Abraham went, people that blessed him were extremely blessed. They always wanted Abraham to be their friend because they recognized that he was so supremely blessed of God. And as long as Egypt was blessing Abraham's descendants, they were blessed tremendously. But when they started, you know, when they began to enslave Israel and wouldn't let Israel go, they brought on their own demise. They brought on their own demise. Um, the covering left them. And um, they sank. And, and it's, it's still that way. And one-on-one, -on -one it's the same way. As we love and bless Israel, we, we get blessings in our lives from that. Just one-on-one. -on -one. Um, not just nation-on-nation, -nation, but one-on-one. -on -one. Um, as we stand with Israel and bless Israel, um, that blessing flows to us. So, you know, that's an important thing to understand. And the last of it, the last of this thing is, and all the families of the earth will bless themselves by you. Um, that statement really is a direct um, link to, um, to Jesus. Um, Paul talks about, you know, he says, when it talks about Abraham's seed, it's not talking about the seed of many, but the seed of one. And it's through Jesus that all the nations, all the nations of the earth are blessed. You know, but that, when he was speaking to Abraham, he was speaking to the seed in his loins, which was Jesus, was right there, you know. So in Jesus himself, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Which is pretty cool, you know, when you think about that. Now, of course, Abraham didn't see that and didn't understand it. But um, that's just, you know, that's just where it is. Um so that standard is what we live by. You know, that's, that's where we are. I tell you what, let's just go back and look at, um, let's finish up Galatians. I should have said not turn away from there. I just messed up too. But let's just go ahead and read the rest of that passage because it's good. Galatians chapter 3. So we'll just go to verse 9 then. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that does them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And there's that seed thing. We'll see it in just a minute. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. But brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not to the seeds as of many, but as of one, to your seed, which is Christ. And this I say, so when God was speaking to Abraham, he wasn't speaking to all of Abraham's seed, he was speaking to the one seed, right, which is Christ. 
And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. That would make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance, inheritance be of the law, it's no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Therefore, um, why do you serve the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Uh, excuse me. So then when you skip down, go down to verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you're in Christ Jesus and he's the seed, then you're the Abraham's seed as well. And therefore, those, that's how all the families of the earth are blessed. In his seed. Isn't that cool? And God was prophesying that 2,000 years early. It's amazing to me. Okay. Um, so now we're going to sort of follow Abraham's trip here. He, um, after his father dies, he leaves Haran. And he's going to go a little bit east and then down the east, the west side, I mean a little bit west, and then down the west side of the Jordan River. And he's 75 years old now when he leaves Haran. So it takes him 25 years of faith to stand by faith before, Abraham, before um, Isaac is born. Now that's a long time to believe for a promise, you know. So you cannot understand why God kept renewing it and making it stronger and stronger trying to hold Abraham up because he just gets older and older and Sarah gets older and older as well. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, I can understand why God kept making it more and more pointed, you know, every time. Hang in there, Abraham. It's coming. Hang in there. So anyway, he left, took Lot with him, and they went out of Haran. Now, so start with verse 4 back in, in 12. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. Into the land of Canaan they came. So now we're into Canaan's family. Okay, Ham's descendants Canaan, the in-your-face, argumentative kind of folks. However, they treated him decently for the most part. And Abraham passed through the land into the place of Sichem and unto the plain of Moray. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Um, Sichem is really um, Sychar in that area. It's like uh, almost in the dead middle of what would now be Israel. And there's, there's, you know, the mountain spine that runs down through Israel, north to south. In that spine, there's a valley between two peaks, Mount Ebal and, um, what's the other one? Um, Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. 
So those two, Gerizim is on the south, Evil is on the north. Evil's the one that Joshua built the big um, altar on so that people north, south, east, and west around Israel could look at Mount Ebal and see the altar and be reminded about the living God. But, but Gerizim, um, Abraham's going to go around to the south side and live on the south side of Gerizim in a little while. But right now he's in that fertile valley between the two mountains. That's where he is when God appears to him. Um, this time. Um, verse 7. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Okay. So he left that valley and went around Mount Gerizim to the south side of Mount Gerizim. All right. Down toward Jerusalem. Heading that way. Bethel and I are like northeast and northwest of, of Jerusalem. They're north of there. And he, what the writers say is that he probably backed himself up against Mount Gerizim because that would have been a safe defense and then lived in that valley right there at the foot of Mount Gerizim, which is supposedly a real fertile valley um, right there. And um, so he probably got on that side of Gerizim. Ebal evidently must be real rocky and hard living there um, while that valley of Shechem is rich. Um, the mountain itself is pretty tough. And so he went to the south side of Gerizim. And, of course, it wasn't Gerizim then, but um, that's about where it was. And so he was between what is now Bethel and Hai, which are north of Jerusalem. A good bit. Okay. So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. So he's, he's wandering around and... Looking at the land, just like God had shown him to do. And then a famine comes. And um, I kind of think it's interesting because I, my question was, why did he go to Egypt and sojourn there? Why didn't he go back to at least Haran? You know, why didn't he go back up toward um, the Tigris-Euphrates River area? You know, why didn't he do that? In violation of the command. Well, it, it would have been, and, and then um, one of the explanations, one of the Hebrew authors that I was reading said that Mizraim, you know, all uh, Mizraim's kids and Canaan's kids lived in that area from Egypt all around to Gaza and all in that area, and they did a bustling business between the two. And they would have known the conditions in Egypt. It would have been well known, the conditions of Egypt, um, so it would have been easy for Abraham to learn that Egypt was okay, you know, and he could take his family there. And I thought that makes um, good sense, you know, uh, rather than going back to Haran um, or, or, you know, trying to press in on the other side of the Jordan or wherever he could have gone, see a Galilee even. But um, so he went into Egypt. And um, um, then this is another place that things get interesting when he gets into Egypt, 
he realizes Mizraim's kin is very dark-skinned, almost black. You know, they're very dark-skinned people. Sarah is a fair-skinned woman, and married women didn't wear veils over their faces. The, the, the Hebrew women didn't wear veils over their faces. And so um, Abraham realized right away that there could be trouble here. Not only was Sarah beautiful, but she was a fair-skinned woman, which would have made her a real trophy for a pharaoh, to have a fair-skinned woman. And um, so Abraham says, you tell them that you're my sister. Well, I got so tickled, I was reading, even John Wesley, they all put Abraham under the law. And they were saying, well, you know, he really was faithless there. He had no faith and um, he was lying to them, you know, not being truthful. And um, I'm going, whoa, you know, that's, uh, that's harsh. Um, the Hebrew authors will tell you this, that Abraham was a patriarch of a very large number of people now. Um, and he was responsible for all those possessions, all those people, and he was the caretaker of everything. For him, if, if he had told them she was his wife, they would have killed him and taken her as a trophy. And um, he needed to be alive for that family because they were in a strange land, strange place. And um, as a patriarch, um, he was not trying to be selfish or high-bind his wife, but rather trying to find the, the best way to um, stay alive and protect everything. Um, another thing that was interesting is, is that he had complete faith in the living God um, that God would stop this, you know, that God would not let it happen. Um, I'm going to read it to you in just a minute here, what they said. But um, it... It wasn't as if Abraham was, you know, being a sneaky shyster like Laban or anything like that. But rather that as a patriarch of the family, he was looking to take care of everybody. Yeah. And um, so that was their plan. So let's just read a little bit here. Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he came near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that you are a fair woman to look upon. It, and that literally means both things, fair-skinned and beautiful. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see you that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save you alive. I say, say I pray you that you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake. You know, he says, for your sake, you need to keep me alive. You know, if he dies, she's lost. They'll never get her back. But if he lives, there's a chance. He says, so if you expect to live and get out of this, you better, you know, we better tell him that. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and he entreated Abraham well for her sake. So he paid a huge bride price for her. He had sheep and oxen and asses and men servant and maid servants and she asses and camels. And then the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, his wife. Now, the Hebrew in this is... Um, really interesting. Um, 
The Hebrew word that means because of Sarah, the words because of literally means according to her words. According to what she did and said. Pharaoh plagued. Pharaoh was plagued according to what she did. Okay. Or said. And so this is what Jonathan's Targum said. He was stricken with the plague of Ra'athon, making intercourse harmful to him and upon the people of all his house. In Hebrew, on account literally means according to her words. So Sarah would speak to the angel, strike, and he would strike. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I think that's just the neatest picture. So Pharaoh was having some serious problems with this plague, whatever it was. And so he realized right away that he needed to do something about this. Why did he call Abraham? Because I think he connected it with what Sarah did or whatever Sarah said. Then he went to Abram. I mean, you know, ordinarily if you get plagued with something, you don't look to one person. In your big Pharaoh household, you wouldn't just go, it's her fault. You know, you, you would, unless there was a reason for it, unless there was something she was doing or saying that made it quite obvious that he was having issues. And so he called Abram and he said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was, uh, why did you not tell me she was your wife? Um, why did you say she's your sister? Um, so I might have taken her to me to wife. Of course, that wasn't going to happen. Not with Sarah around. Now, therefore, behold your wife and take her and go your way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Flip over to um, Genesis 20 real quick. This is another run-in with Abimelech, but um, look at verse 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So... You, you know, I, I just get real tickled at some of these Christian authors that, that bend over backwards. And when you read the real rich stories that the, that the Hebrew people have, you don't know what's true and what's not, but, but they're saying it was obvious that she was doing something. The word because of literally means on account of her behavior, her actions, what she said, that he recognized that, that Sarah E was the issue. Um, and that makes perfect sense to me, you know. What she said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just because of Sarah, he was having trouble. It was because of what Sarah did or Sarah said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of actions on her part. So, um, yeah. Isn't that a hoot? Yeah. So he. That's what I say. Good for you, girl. So anyway, when Abraham was a manager, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, holy cow! Well, I'd be getting rid of her too if I was Pharaoh. I wouldn't blame him a bit. But Abraham went away a very rich man, and that's the first time they leave Egypt very wealthy, with everybody in his loins. The second time, the whole three million people walk out with half of Egypt and um, all their wealth and. So it's kind of a precursor to that. 
And um, so we'll just stop there with, and we'll pick up on ch chapter 13 next week. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Lord, we just cover that in the blood of Jesus right now. Whatever the emergency is, we put all the people that are involved um, under the blood of Jesus. And I speak life over that situation, not death. And I speak blessing, not cursing, Lord. Um, I take authority over a spirit of fear and anxiety in the people that it's happening to. And Lord, I just ask that you bless our emergency people as they go out. Bless them in their going out and they're coming in and prosper them in what they set their hands to to help this these people, whoever they are. And Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of this group. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is all fascinating. Isn't it fascinating? It is fascinating. I have had the best time. Yeah. It has muddied more water for me than it's cleared up like this, you know, when was Abraham called? Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, it's just, it's pretty doggone cool stuff. It makes it a whole lot clearer, doesn't it? You know? A lot of stuff that he did. Because I, I never appreciated his journeys and where he went and. You get the little stories about Pharaoh's wife. I mean, Pharaoh and Abimelech. But yeah, but there's just so much behind it. It's just, it's rich. So, okay. Well, let's just pray real quick here. Lord, I, I just ask for blessings on us this week. Um, I ask that you empty us of ourselves and uh, um, cause us to be absolutely a representation of Jesus. When people look at us, Lord, that they see you. Use us to help people, Lord. Um, put us in positions to minister to people's needs and we give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus name Amen What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission At U.S. Customs and Border Protection we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore air to ground Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.